So that's what we're studying at the moment, uh, this idea of what a stronghold is. Remember, a stronghold is really a dominant thought or idea that controls your thinking or your behavior. Sometimes they can be small, sometimes they can seem so innocent, and yet our lives and our behavior are governed by some of these little strongholds. And uh, the enemy right around the world in all of our lives tries to trap us into thinking thoughts that are not in line with God's word. And any thoughts that are not in line with God's word don't bring us into freedom, it brings us into bondage. That's why we've got that little uh, display there and that wrecking ball. We want to demolish. The Bible speaks about how the truth of God's word demolishes strongholds. And there's our verse, Psalm 27, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And you see, that's the thing. When strongholds of the enemy dominate our lives, it results in fear, doubt, worry, anxiety. But when Jesus is the stronghold of our lives, it results in courage and strength and freedom. So the question that I want to ask today is simply this. Is your name a stronghold in your life? Is your name a stronghold in your life. Now you look at me thinking, what is this guy talking about? Well, let's start with me. My name is Brent, which means from a steep hill. Brent's an old English given name and surname. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the place name can be from Celtic words meaning holy one. That sounded promising. If it refers to the river Brent, which doesn't. So that doesn't count. Or high place, literally from a steep hill. It refers to the villages in Somerset and Devon. So there's my incredible name, which absolutely means nothing in terms of strength or weakness in my life. Kate is better, my wife's name, because Kate is a Greek origin, and it means pure. Catherine is a feminine name of Greek and English origin. The name means pure and is a wonderful way to honor a baby's life as a clean slate, rich with potential. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Now, maybe you've got a name that's got an elaborate meaning, chosen by God, mighty to save or something. Or maybe you've got a name like Brent, which just means steep hill. Either way, actual names are one thing, but a name is more than just a, a name. I'm really talking about labels. When I speak about a name, I'm not just speaking about Brent or Kate. I'm, I'm speaking about the labels that we carry about ourselves. Because maybe people might call me Brent, but what I call myself on the inside, either knowingly or unknowingly, we can sometimes give ourselves a name that can become a stronghold, stronghold of the enemy or a stronghold for Jesus. I'll give you a little example. When I grew up, as I've been pondering this, I realized to myself that as I grew up, my dad in particular, he would always say to me, oh, son, you've got so much potential. You've got potential in your life. I want you to live up to your potential. And without even realizing it, it's almost as if that became a little label or name over my life. I began to see myself as someone with potential. And so in terms of shaping my thinking, is this going to help me live up to my potential or is this less than my potential? And it actually really helped me always want to, I mean, I wanted to succeed. I wanted to please my dad. And so I wanted to live up to my potential. And so that became a positive stronghold in my life and it shaped my thinking. Many, sadly, are not as fortunate. You may have a label that's developed inside of you. And some common ones might be you're a failure. I mean, 
People, sadly, I've heard come and people come and tell me, this is what my parents spoke over me. You're worthless, you're unwanted, you're a failure, or something's happened and it's left you, I'm dirty, I'm abused. I'm, and, and those things can actually become the label that you see yourself as. That's why I'm asking the question, is your name or that label a stronghold in your life? Labels or names are so important. Do you know that one of the first jobs that God gave to Adam and Eve was what? Name the animals. Name the animals. It says um, in Genesis 1 verse 28, it says God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, which means bring it under your authority. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves along the ground. So the command, God said two things, be fruitful and increase, and then I want you to rule over and as ruling over, what was the first thing they had to do? Well, it says in Genesis 2, 19 and 20, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Isn't that interesting that God didn't name them and then say, Adam, this is a giraffe. Adam, this is an elephant. He brought the animals to Adam and say, No, no, I've given you authority. You need to name them. Have you ever thought about that before? That's why parents, it's, the government doesn't send you, you've had a child, by the way, her name is going to be Mary. No, no, you parents, you get to choose a name because names actually are a form of authority. When you name something, you have authority over something. Do you begin to realize now why names and labels are so important? The act of naming is the act of ruling or having authority over something. So, a name or a label comes with authority over our lives, and names really do have authority in our lives for good or bad. So if I've named myself potential, actually that begins to have authority. I'm giving it authority in my life to live up to that. But what if you've named yourself failure? What if you've named yourself useless? What if you've named yourself dirty or good for nothing? You can see now how that now has authority over your behavior. Now, the good news is that when God started something new, he started with a renaming. I'd never really thought about this before, but there's two big examples, Old Testament example and New Testament example. Now, God had created Adam and Eve. They'd multiplied. We'd had Noah's flood. Now God was going to start his, his people, the special covenant people, the Jewish people, and he chose someone called Abram. And Abram is known as, as the father of the faith because it's from that man that the 12 tribes from which Jesus came, the Jewish nation came. So God started something through this one man and his name was Abram. And what was one of the first things God did? Changed his name. It says in Genesis 17 verse 5, No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you to be a father of many nations. Abram means exalted father. It's all about you. But Abraham means father of many or father of nations. So it's very interesting. God is starting something new, a new covenant, a transformation. The first thing he did is, I'm changing your name. Jesus comes, and Jesus is going to do the same thing. He comes as a pattern now, fulfillment of what Abraham did. And he's going to choose a team of men who are going to be his apostles, who are going to take the word into the nations. And the first, the leader of the pack was, no, Simon. And you know what he said? Simon, I'm changing your name. 
So isn't that interesting? Just as God changed Abram to Abraham, that first apostle that they built the church on, and Peter was the leader of the early church, Jesus changed his name. In uh, Luke 6 verse 13, when morning came, Jesus called his disciples to him and chose those chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. First one, Simon, whom he named Peter. Simon means obedient or heard God, but Peter means the rock. So that's good news to know that when God starts something in our lives, first thing he does is he changes the name, changes the labels over our lives. A name or a label can be a stronghold in our lives for good or bad from the enemy or from God. So what I want to do is have a look at three examples from the Word of God about how significant the name or labels that we have. Now, in the Bible, names are more significant, it seems, than now. I mean, I think I was named after the local pub or bottle store owner. So, I mean, it wasn't really a word from God that came, name him, Brent. It was just, hey, I like that name, and they named me. But it seems in biblical times, names carried more meaning. And so, I'm going to start with the example of Solomon. I never knew this about Solomon, and this really challenged me. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 24 to 25. Now, remember David. David was king. And David was an incredible king, but he made a big mistake. Remember his biggest mistake? He committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered and then had a second. I mean, that child died because she became pregnant. They had another son, and this is the boy, Solomon. But it says in verse 24, Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. Who chose his name? It says they, they chose, they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedediah. So isn't that interesting? This, this man Solomon, we know him so well, the wisest king. Who chose his name? Well, his parents chose a name, Solomon, but God chose a different name and said, I want you to call him Jedediah. Which name won? Solomon, we know him as Solomon. Do you know what Solomon means? Solomon means peace. And he was a man of peace. In fact, there's no record of Solomon going to war. He was a peace lover. He was wise. The problem with wisdom sometimes is, is sometimes, well, let me rather say this. Peace is a good thing, but biblical peace is different to avoiding conflict. You know the difference? And what happened in Solomon's life his father fought battles until they had peace because they'd conquered their enemies. Solomon, I'm a man of peace. I'm a man of peace. Oh, oh, he has a problem. I'm a man. Of, what do I do? Do you know what Solomon did? He began to marry the daughters of all of the kings of surrounding nations to make a peace treaty. So instead of going to war to fight for the inheritance God's given us to maintain peace, he compromised. No, no, no. I'll marry your daughter. I'll marry your daughter, I'll marry your daughter, I'll marry your daughter. That's how he got all of these foreign wives, because he was making peace treaty and peace treaty and peace treaty. The problem was, he was now bringing into his government and into his palace and into his life, the princesses, and remember, they lack a lot. They don't, they high maintenance, not low maintenance. When you marry a princess, you get, she wants, I want my own palace, I want my own temple, I want my own gods, I want my own religion, I want my own servants. And he brought all of them into his palace and his government 
And that was the downfall of Solomon. And you know, when I realized that, I thought, yo, I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I love peace. In fact, I remember I've shared this story before. I've never saw my parents fight once in my life. They've been married 53 years now or something, and they're amazing. But I asked them once, how come you guys, I mean, Kate and I went, got married, and we went on honeymoon, and then Kate had a fight with me, and I was like, what do I do now? Are we going to get divorced? I don't know what to do. And my mom said, no, no, I just, I, I, I just, I just, I can't conflict. And so she was just like, yes, dear. Now, I want to honor them because, I mean, they've been married much longer than I have. But in some ways, I thought, that's not right. My mom's an incredibly intelligent woman. Dad, you should have listened more. And actually, conflict is not bad because we should conflict well to come to peace as opposed to avoiding conflict. Does that make sense? Solomon, all his life, peace, peace, peace. So instead of fighting the battles that he should have fought, it seems that he compromised, made treaties and alliances, brought in foreign women and foreign gods, married way more than he should have. Imagine if his name was Jedediah. Jedediah means loved by Yahweh or loved by God. Loved by God. Imagine his whole life, instead of him hearing, man of peace, man of peace, 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 peace. Imagine if he'd heard, you loved by God. You loved by God. Do you know that besides the 300 wives, he took 700 concubines? This doesn't sound like a man who found his love in God. This sounds like someone who was always looking for love in other women. Because he was never called Jedediah, he was called Solomon. I've never studied that before and it really challenged me. I thought, wow. Imagine if Solomon had not been called Solomon, but had been called Jedediah. How different. Because remember, at the end of Solomon's rule, the kingdom was split in half, and Israel just declined from that point on. The power of a label. So, big question. Are you living under God's name, or are the people, have people named you? Are you living under God's identity for your life? God's label for your life? Or have you come under people's label for your love? Here's another one. This is an amazing little story. So Paul is in jail again. Apostle Paul, he tended to end up in jail quite often. And and while he was in jail, he met a young man whose name was Onesimus. Great name. If you want to name, maybe help someone. Most of you aren't going to have more kids, but maybe you can have grandkids. Onesimus, great name. It says in Philemon 1, verses 10 and 11, he said, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. This is not a biological son. This has become a spiritual son who became my son while I was in chains. So I think Paul was in jail, literally in chains, and he began to share the gospel with this young man, and he led him to Christ, and through leading him to Christ, he became a spiritual father-son relationship. Verse 11 says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. So here's interesting. This guy, Paul's saying, this Onesimus guy, he was useless to you, and I'll tell you why, but now he's become useful. Guess what Onesimus means? Useful. That was his name. So his name was useful. Hey, the useful one. But the useful one had become useless. Paul is using a play on words here. The one who is born to be useful has become useless to you, but now, through the gospel, he's become useful once again. You see, he was a slave. He'd fallen into slavery, 
And now the worst thing a slave could do is run away from their master. And so now that he'd run away from his master, he was thrown into jail. So he'd gone from free to slave to jail. But his name was useful. Now my point is this. God can have a name for you, but we can lose the power of that label over our lives. The stronghold of Jesus in our lives can be lost through the power of sin. And it takes the power of the gospel to get us back to the labels, the names that God has for us. He had a powerful name, but sin had resulted in slavery and now in jail. And it took the gospel to break the stronghold of failure to release him into the potential of his name. Maybe you've got a a label. You've been calling yourself failure, useless, weak, good for nothing. The power of the gospel breaks enemy labels and replaces them with the names that God has for us. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 9, look what it says. He is coming with Onesimus our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you, they will tell you everything that's happened here. In other words, this guy Onesimus, Paul met him as a slave who'd run away from his master in jail. I mean, you don't get more useless than that. Now he's fulfilling this apostolic translocal ministry going into the nation's preaching. Power of the gospel changes the labels over our lives. Now, The problem is sin robs us of the power of the identity, the labels that God has given us. Now, even for me, I I remember, I mean, I grew up with this kind of potential. You've got potential. And yet even that led to the sense of frustration inside of me. Because I kind of, I remember now I'm a young boy going through teenage. And when you're a teenager, you're starting to ask questions. What's the point? What's the meaning of life? And and I'm like, it doesn't, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And that's why I remember the wonder of giving my life to Jesus when I was 17 years old. And suddenly it's, you mean, now that my sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit, the the very Spirit who created the heavens and the earth is now living inside of me. How much potential do I have now? And I just, I figured within, literally within a few months of giving my life to Jesus, I just knew I want to dedicate my life to full-time Christian ministry. I want to live my life trying to fulfill that potential that God's made for me. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. It breaks off enemy labels and brings us into the stronghold of Jesus where we can fulfill our destiny. So the big question here, has sin robbed you of the identity that God has given you? Let me finish with one more example. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament about a woman named Naomi. Naomi is a beautiful name because it means joy or pleasant. Here was a woman who was living a joyful, pleasant life. They move out of Israel into uh, Moab. Her husband dies. But she's got two sons, and her two sons both get married, so at least she's still got family. One son, and then the other son dies. And now she's broken inside, and so she leaves Moab because there was a famine. So now she's going to go back to Israel, at least back to her own people. And And she comes back to her own people and basically she says, don't call me Naomi anymore because I'm not joyful and I'm not living a pleasant life. In fact, I've changed my own name. Call me Mara. From now on, no more Naomi. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. Literally, she was building a stronghold on her own life. No more. Don't call me joyful. I'm not. Listen to what it says in... uh, 
in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 to 22, it says, don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant or joyful, she told him. Call me Mara. Call me the bitter woman. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Yikes. Do you see how she was building that label in her own life? She was angry. She was blaming God. And now she's saying to everyone else, just you might as well speak it over my life. I'm going to live a bitter life. She thought she had nothing, but she was wrong. And she was wrong because there was someone else in her life. Naomi was building a stronghold. She was renaming or labeling herself. She thought she had nothing, but she was wrong. Verse 22, it carries on. and says, so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth. This was one of her daughter-in-laws who'd lost her husband, but she'd chosen to stay with Naomi. The Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now take a guess what Ruth means. I mean, she thought she had nothing. Ruth means friendship. So she thought she had nothing. Call me bitter. But she didn't realize she had a friend. What I love so much about this story is, is not Naomi, who was building her own stronghold, but rather Ruth, who was living up to the prophetic label on her life. Basically, she had this name. You're going to be a great friend. That word friendship actually means one who refreshes. And so here's this Ruth. She's lost her husband. And, and yet, the prophetic label on my life, I'm someone who's a friend to others. I'm someone who refreshes others. So this is what she said to Naomi. Ruth replied in Ruth 1, 16 and 17, Don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She's got a stronghold, but not a Naomi stronghold. Don't call me happy or player. Call me bitter. She's got a Jesus stronghold. This is the label on my life. God, you've put a gift inside of me. You've, you've created who I am. I'm going to be a friend through thick and thin. And what I love, she had every opportunity. She was actually urged, no, leave me. I'm going to live a bitter life. And she said, no. The label on my life is I'm going to be a friend. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your God, my God, I'm with you to the end. And you know the story, if you've read the book of Ruth, has a beautiful ending. Ruth's stronghold of her thinking became the strength of her decision. This is who I am, and so this is the decision that I'm making. I was created to be a good friend. In your hour of need, I am not leaving your side. And that's what I love about the power of a biblical stronghold in our lives. Standing as a great friend led to the fruitfulness of her life. Do you remember the happy ending? Yep, she marries one of Naomi's relatives. And she becomes the great-grandmother of David, becomes the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. Look how God turned that story around because she had, no, no, this is the label of my life. God has named me, and I'm going to live it out. Under pressure, Naomi was letting her identity collapse, building enemy stronghold. Under pressure, Ruth stood by the label on her life. And so... Here's the final challenge. Is the label of your life a stronghold from God 
or a stronghold from the enemy. That name, maybe it's not your name like Brent, but that name inside of you, when you call yourself, when you speak to yourself, when you think about yourself, that label, that name, is it a stronghold from God or is it a stronghold from the enemy? Have you allowed God to break off through the gospel old labels and replace them with new? I love what the Father said about Jesus. Because I do think one of the dad's jobs is to help shape the identity or the label over his children. And isn't it amazing? Our Heavenly Father spoke over Jesus and put a label upon Jesus. And now as we come, it says, all who receive Christ, when we open our hearts and receive Jesus, we are adopted into this family and we should allow the Father to shape the labels on our lives. And in Matthew 3 verse 17, Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. You see, right there, the father was labeling his boy. This is my son. And we need to allow those labels to attach to our hearts. And ladies, you have to be sons. If you want to walk in the inheritance of God, you have to be sons of God as well. Like I have to be part of the bride. So I'm happy to be part of Jesus' bride. You need to be happy to be part of being the son because you in Christ. The sons get the inheritance and we are in Christ. This is my son. Thank you, Lord. Let that label, seeing yourself not worthless, good for nothing. I'm a son of the heavenly father. And he says, whom I love, whom I love. The world might have spoken rejection over you. Parents might have spoken rejection over you. Everything else might have spoken, you don't belong, you're not loved. No, no, but my father has declared whom I love, whom I love. That's got to label us on the inside. I am the Jedediah, beloved of God. I am a son of the living God. And then he said, and with you, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. You've chosen to follow my son, Jesus. You've chosen to put your faith in my son, Jesus. That's what pleases the father. It's not our works that please him. It's our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Your faith, trusting in the name, trusting in his word, that's what pleases your father. The pleasure of God is upon you when we trust in him. I want to ask you today, what label are you living under? Are you living under an old enemy label? Maybe the world gave it to you. Maybe you gave it to yourself. Or are you living under a stronghold of Jesus? The prophetic names, the word of God names, the identity we have in Christ. Maybe God is calling you today to repent of holding on to enemy label for your life and allowing it to be a stronghold. Maybe it's time to submit to God's label for your life and let that become a stronghold in Jesus' name. And you bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much that you are our loving Heavenly Father. We thank you so much that you define us and you label us and you name us. And maybe the world has tried to exert its authority over us by labeling us or naming us. Maybe we've renamed ourselves living under broken labels and, and, and identities which have been distorted or broken through sin. Heavenly Father, we want to throw those off today. We want to repent in Jesus' name. Thank you that the gospel takes that which is useless and makes it useful. Thank you that the gospel takes that which has lost its name and finds our true fulfillment in Christ. 
I ask even today, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to identify those labels. Identify those names we call ourselves and bring them before you and say, Holy Spirit, is this from God or is this from the enemy? Come, Holy Spirit. Even now, Holy Spirit, where there might be deeply entrenched labels from the past, the Bible says if we confess our sin, if we bring it out of the darkness into the light, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe there's a label. Maybe it's a joke, or, but, but it's a label. If you've got any of those enemy labels, it's time to bring them out of the darkness and say no more. This is not going to have authority over my life for another day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for victory in your name. Thank you, Jesus. God's people say, Amen. Amen.